0: We are on Surah Al-Ankaboot, Surah number 29, Ayah number 61. number 29, and Ayah number 61. اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن ولئن من خلق السماوات والارض الشمس الله that he is in charge of the sustenance for everything that lives, everything that crawls on the earth, and also for the sustenance of human beings. We should trust in his abilities and his kindness to feed us while we are searching for providence and for risk. From the... Pagan Arabs, there were many who believed in the the macro governance of Allah, that He is a creator at the macro level and not at the micro level. So this ayah refers to those groups of people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if you were to ask them Who created the heavens and the earth, and who manages and constrains the sun and the moon so that they work for you? Most certainly, indeed, they will say Allah. Meaning, although they are mushrikun at the micro level, they are believers at the macro level. They do believe that Allah created the heavens and the earth, and they do believe that Allah. Manages and governs the sun and the moon. What they don't believe is that Allah now manages the daily affairs of human beings. And it is on that that they justified the worshipping of idols. Right? So they weren't totally uh, lost. So now, where will they turn? that you are saying that god is able to create the whole universe but he's not able to take care of your sustenance and your daily food like anything it should be the other way around and that because he is able to take care to, to create and manage the universe he is able to take care of you also Allahu يَبْسُطُ الرِزْقَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ عِبَادِهِ لَهُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ Allah is the one who spreads risk and sustenance and expands it for whomever He wishes from His servants and then He also constrains it, restricts it right? implicitly for those whom He wants. If he wants to give somebody more, he gives them more. And if he wants somebody, if he wants to give less, he gives less. So, yapsutu wa yakhdir So, that is how the Quran explains Allah's divine uh, eternal abilities that He may spread and He may restrict. It's in His hands. It's not in your hands. Why? Because indeed Allah is. Very very cognizant And aware of everything So at a micro level also He is able to do this Because he knows He creates everything so he knows everything All the time The time when he creates And he is capable of doing What he wishes with his creation This is the comfort of the Sahaba And the Prophet also That Today in Mecca, your risk and sustenance is restricted. Tomorrow in Medina, it will be spread. As I mentioned, this surah was the last one to be revealed before the hijrah. And if you were to ask these same people, that uh, who sends down rain, literally water, from the heavens And then through it revives the earth after the cold period Then indeed they will say Allah They will say Allah Meaning that the earth dies and then it is revived and If you were to ask the bedouin Arab, who does this? They will say, We don't see anybody involved with that except Allah. Say oh Muhammad, oh praise you to Allah, whether it is macro or micro. All types of praise is for Allah, whether you praise Him at the macro level or the micro level. Bal But the truth is, most of them do not understand. They have no aqal, they have no understanding. They are not in a position to judge. But if you were to ask these free Bedouins, nomads, that who does this and who does that, they will say Allah because they are in sync with Allah's creation, they are in sync with nature, and they are in sync with the organic performance of nature which is guided by and created by Allah so the Prophet is being reassured the Sahaba has been reassured and we are reassured when we recite these ayat. also that Allah is in control, that Allah is the one who is now going to feed us our daily bread because he has created the universe they, alhamdulillah, praise be to Allah as He is the macro caretaker and the micro caretaker. He is Rabul Alameen. He is the Lord of all the worlds, whether those worlds are at the macro level or the micro level. <laughs> Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes another emphatic factual statement that the truth is that the life of this world is nothing except pastime, amusement, and game. Lahu when you're amused by something which is futile, and live which is now sport. In this world, whatever you do is going to end up as being one of these two things. Because life is so short in this world, even if you are a serious person, you will see when you die that you lived for only one day or half a day. So it's past time, 're passing time. In that sense. and Indeed, the world and the abode of the Akhirah is where life is. That is life. Hayawan means life is flowing. Anything that flows... It's called Hayawan. So there it will flow, meaning it will be eternal and it will always be ever and flowing. You will live there forever. If only they knew. So the way we see time is that time is very restricted. Time is what? Restricted. It's limited. Even though it may be a million years or two billion years, doesn't matter. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no time. He exists outside of time. He created time. And when you see that when he wants to meet you face to face, he will meet you at a time when you will be introduced to eternity. Abadiya. Right. So now, that is the place where you will meet him. You cannot meet him in this dunya because this dunya is restricted. It's like trying to insert something that is very, very gigantic into a very small test tube. You can't squeeze all of time into a test tube. So time was squeezed into this world, which is called Asa. Yeah. Now beyond Asa, there's time. That time is also created, okay, known as Zaman or whatever I call it, right? Dhar or whatever you call it. It doesn't matter the. Nomenclature, the names of these uh, uh, various phases of time uh, is only relative to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's uh, eternity. So compared with eternity, nothing exists. It's just the moment in time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that when you want to consider how old this universe is, then you must juxtapose it with eternity. Not with life in this world. Yeah? That the universe may be a billion years old or this galaxy is so many light years away. or this. Allah is saying that is fine. But you're still measuring all of that distance and time relative to time on this planet. And that is not right. You must measure time Right. That will be relative To Allah's eternity Do they know? Right. So the first instance Most of them don't understand right. Allah is the one who does everything for them In the world And in this one Allah says They don't know Meaning eventually The scientist doesn't know anything Right people who make now qiyas in logical assumptions and premises and everything that they do is absurd scientifically uh, why? because there is eternity when is eternity? Uh, it starts after you die when you leave this world you start to begin and sense eternity and you're in the grave how long are you in the grave for only Allah knows The Prophet said, if you live a good life, then you will pass through your grave in the amount of time that it takes for you to offer two rakats of Salat, the Sunnah before Fajr. But how many years have passed since our forefathers died? How many centuries have passed? How many millennia have passed? So now, in each zone, time becomes quality. Except in this world, we're stuck with uh, your seconds, your minutes, your hours, your days, your months, and your years. And you start measuring everything according to what you know. So Allah is saying, you don't know. The problem is, you don't know. Who knows? Allah knows. So now, you seek benefit from Allah's knowledge. And what does Allah's knowledge tell us? That there's a world of the graves. After the world of the graves, there's the day of judgment. And there, the ulema say, based on ayat in the Qur'an, that last day is the last day, right? al Yomul akhir is the last day, which is not figurative, it is literal. The last day will be the last day, because after that, Allah will slaughter time. That also comes in hadith. Hadith in the hadith in which the Prophet said that Allah will then bring time uh, in the form of an animal and then slaughter it. And then He will announce after this there's only a there's only eternity. Now who knows this? We don't know this. How do we know this? Through the Prophet, the wahi he received. And who told him? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's, it's a aqidah issue. What's the issue? That when you get into physics and astronomy and science, then you get bogged down by your units. What are your units of measurement? Your seconds, your hours, your days, your months, weeks, months, and years. Allah is saying, forget all that. All that will appear to be on the day of judgment. How long? One day and half a day the angel will say "How many days or how many years did you live on earth?" so then they will say so we felt as if we lived for a day for a portion of the day first so ask people who count meaning the angels. On the day of judgment after we are resurrected, we will feel as if we've lived for how long? Less than a day. Then the angel will say, illa illa In fact, you've lived for even less than that. Right? So a life in this world will be seen as a fleeting dream. As what? A fleeting dream. So, in this fleeting dream, scientists say they have measured the time and the life of the universe, and the human being, and fossil, and they know this is. Allah says, Most of them don't know. Why? Because they're not comparing life on this earth against life in the hereafter. So when you get your index right and your reference right, then you know something. So Allah is saying that, look, life in this world is okay. Lahu is is past time. Treat it that way. Meaning you don't have too much time before you die. In the practicality of this ayah is what? You don't have too much time before you die. So make the most of the time you do have so that when you do die, you are prepared for that cultural shock Of living for a long, 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 long time. Right? When you go out, mashallah, with your children, and you are going from one place to another, and it takes you 30 minutes, what do your children say when they leave the house? How long is it? And then two minutes later, what do they say? Are we there yet? And 20 minutes later, they're ready to kill you. Right? This is a trip of half an hour. And God forbid you have to go on a plane ride with them. Right? Are we there yet? No. How many more hours? Eight hours. What? Eight hours? So every 50 minutes. How long is it? How long is it? How long is it? 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 So likewise, when the human being is transported to the grave, and the world of the graves, the human being will say, How long is it? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, no, no a long time so you have to prepare for the grave here you cannot prepare for the grave there they don't know science knowledge of science technology all this aside that is for the the utility of this dunya don't make it your life goal your life goal should be to prepare for the barzakh. When the Dar Al Akhirah, the the abode of the Akhirah, the hereafter, is where you're going to live. Like Hayawan, like that's eternity. Prepare for that, and you'll be okay. Once you have an eye to the Akhirah, then you will apply time in this world the way it should be, and then you will also make so many discoveries of time in this world. right? Okay? It becomes relative, and then Allah gives you barakah in your time. That is how the Muslims were. This is how all the Anbiya were. It was a matter of perspective, a matter of perception, and a matter of realizing who Allah is, and when we meet Him, we'll meet Him at a time, at a place where we can meet Him, and that is where? Eternity. You can't meet God in time because time will not allow... God will not come into time. He doesn't do that. He exists beyond time. So you meet Him where there is no time. That is Jannah. You understand? It's very logical, very mathematical. If you have restricted time, you cannot force somebody who is eternal to come into restricted time. It doesn't work. It's absurd. Anyway. So to this point which I just uh, highlighted, Allah then gives a proof. So when they board their ships, okay, when they board their ships on the seas, in the ocean, they call Allah uh, with complete sincerity. Religion belongs. So as you are now in this great sea and ocean, body of water in front of you, and you have this little dinghy boat. So the water is what? A trillion times larger than the boat. And man through his foolishness takes on this task of saying what? I'm going to cross this body of water. Is that foolish? (laughs) Have you you ever seen a ship from, from the plane? How big does it look but when you come onto the ship how big is the ship oh, very, very big. It has two tiers three tiers it's made of steel and this and that it's all the sophisticated gadgets and toys that you can navigate with. So but when you go up uh, from the sky and the ship now. the same ship which oh, magnificent a small tiny little speck So man, through his foolishness, what does he do? He says, I'm going to take on the task of crossing this sea and this ocean. But they know they can't do it themselves. So what do they do? They turn to religion. All of a sudden now the atheist says, I need you, God. Mukhlaseen, da'awu allaha They don't say it, but they feel it. So they call Allah and say, I need you. I need you, I need you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the state of the human being that even with his great invention of through science and technology, a time comes in his life where he will call God. He will call him and supplicate uh, whether it's consciously or subconsciously in his dreams or whether when he's awake, he will need assistance and help from somewhere. Then, and then all of a sudden Allah subhanahu delivers them to the land okay? and they see land in front of them and then, then they come ashore then all of a sudden they forgot that they called Allah while they were in the ocean at sea they start to commit shirk and associate partners with Allah and say it is through our navigational system, it is through our Ability to navigate and to, to, to uh, you know, develop these ships that we were able to cross the waters. Allah says, How quickly does this man forget? Man is so ungrateful. <inaudible> eventually, what happens is that they are ungrateful for what we give them. What do we give them? We give them everything. Allah created the water, Allah created them, Allah created the ship now this is a game right what's man doing god created this god created this practice and then when one plus one plus one equals three they say no all of this equals zero because i'm the one that did it they're ungrateful for what we gave them right you know why are you know, they crossing this ship at the sea in the first place they want gold they want silver, they want food, they want comfort, and who placed all of that there, in the new land, called America, who placed all these goods here, Allah, that is it. we did it, we discovered it, what did you discover, something that Allah already created, there is no discovery there. This happened to reach there. Liyakfuru. <laughs> so they are ungrateful for what we gave them. Waliyatamattau. And so they may gain some benefit and enjoyment and pleasure for a short time. I mean Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created all of this for you and for your enjoyment and pleasure, which is fine. But accept that it's Allah that gave you all of this. Fasilfa ya'alamun. Indeed, for sure, they will know very shortly who is who. So, Allah is using this parable uh, and this story of man's crossing uh, the ocean and nowadays crossing the airways and then crossing space to show how fragile man is and how forgetful man is that in a split second, as soon as they feel their objective has been met then they forget who created them they forget who made them and they forget who gave them everything they needed in order to enjoy a little piece of the dunya this is the unfortunate plight of man that he is very eager to commit shirk as soon as he knows he has succeeded Anyway. Referring specifically to the Quraysh, the pagan Arabs of Mecca and the Mushrikun of Mecca that look at your surroundings. Who has done what for you? First of all, you did not create the heavens and the earth, which is what most of you acknowledge. Number one. Number two, you acknowledge that at the macro level, God is the one who sends down rain. Okay. And he has created the sun, the moon, and the stars for your ease and for your comfort. And now look at what Allah has done for you, O people of Mecca, especially you, Quraysh, that is the ruling tribe of the Jazeera of the peninsula. That do they not see? Or do they not know that indeed we are the ones that have made the haram, meaning the area around the Kaaba, a sanctuary. A place of security. How so? Because the, 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 the topography, the geography, and the landscape is inhospitable. You cannot traverse those lands, and those ravines, and those mountains, except with tremendous difficulty. It was almost impossible to get to Makkah, with all those mountains, and all that rugged terrain, and the lack of water, the lack of guidance, that the Quraysh were able to do so. And it was because they were able to do so, and because nobody else was able to do so, that they were secure. Allah gave them a secure land and a secure town in the middle of a desert, where nobody could now come and do what they want to do with them, colonize them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, where the people are now all around them, and they would descend upon them, ravaged all around them. Now here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that the, the, the setting of Makkah that you control, or the town that you control, is only there because Allah has made it secure. Who made it secure Allah, <clears throat> if there was no security, and your town was easily accessible, then you would not have leadership, because then leadership will be in the hands of those who conquer you. But nobody okay, knew how to navigate that piece of land. And therefore, they never came. So now you're able to navigate. Now you come. And you are now the rulers. So security of the town is essential for the uh, uh, consistency in government. And so on. Anyway. Then Allah says, Bilbātul Minūn, Is is it that they, they, they believe in what is false? What is the falsity in this? The Quraysh. That they believe it is them. That it is because they are ruling and they are governing and because it is their culture that they are able to do this and control all the tribes of the Jazeera of the peninsula. And is it with the ni'mah of Allah, this ni'mah of security, a secure land and a secure town, a secure city that they are disbelieving. So where the man travels on the sea, or where the man stays at home, as the people of Mecca stayed at home, and they were able to develop their authority there, man is in a very fragile state of mind, where he is always ungrateful for whatever God has done. This ungratefulness is manifested the worst in the form of ibadah, where ibadah is corrupt. Sure. So, If you want to give thanks to Allah, then you must worship Him correctly first. (coughs) You cannot say that God's providence is with us when you don't believe that God is one. Or you believe that God has a son. Or you believe that there are many gods. Or you believe there is no God. That's how Allah is referring to these different types and groups of people that are mentioned throughout the story of the spider the spider has now eight legs and each leg will represent one false idea of worship and one false idea of security and one false idea of public service or whatever so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing all of this so that the sahaba when they're listening to this recitation from the prophets وسلم, now will realize that they're making hijrah from what is seemingly a secure place to what is seemingly an open place. What's the open place? Medina. Medina is easily accessible. It's open terrain. They have some hills here and there. It's nowhere near secure as Makkah. Sahaba so now, why are we moving from here to there? Right? In their minds, as I said. there is Hindsight is 2020, and see it's a great achievement and the Sahaba, the Imam but knowing it It must have crossed the minds of the Sahaba that Allah has protected Mecca from outside enemies, from reaching Mecca And we're going to Medina which is open Anybody come to Medina from the north, from the south and also from the east and also from the west They chose to So now that is the Hijrah So you're going into an unknown future it is this unknown future That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying That you take on when you board a ship You don't know what's going to happen to you When you board that ship on your ocean. It's an unknown future Anything can happen But who guides you from one land to another land? Allah subhanahu Allah wa ta'ala is saying to the sahaba He is going to guide you on land The way he guides you on the sea this is the story of the hijrah the psychological victory of the sahaba to trust in Allah absolutely without any contingencies without any conditions without any prerequisites and without asking for even victory open-ended so this is how these ayat inculcate tawakkul and trust in Allah which is needed at the time of hijrah because at the time of hijrah Allah, save and protect all those who are displaced in the world. All of these refugees and immigrants that you see across the globe, where are they going? They're going to an unknown future. There's no guarantee. When you seek political asylum or you seek asylum through an embassy, at least you know there is something uh, at the end of the road. When you've been displaced and misplaced, and abuse and misuse then you don't know what the future is so now you just go with the sahaba it was the same they just went how did they know allah told them you must make hijrah so the hijrah is only valid if there's nothing that is guaranteed at the end it must be unknown so that's the difference between the muhajir who migrated for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those who were in Medina the Ansar. The Ansar knew the Muhajir were coming. And they knew they had little. And they gave everything. Whatever little they had. The Muhajir was expecting nothing. From the people of Medina. Nothing. Khalisun Purely for the sake of Allah. Mukhlisin له Right? Just as the person boarding the ship. Mukhlisin, call Allah purely Allah. The difference is the Sahaba, they did not believe that it was them. They believed it was Allah. So they didn't commit kufr, or they did not commit shirk at the end of their journey in Medina. They said, Alhamdulillah, this is all due to Allah's fadl. And even though it took five years, six years to develop, the community in Medina, where the Sahaba had very little, they continued with their struggle in Medina as they were struggling in Makkah. So they have a daraja, a rank over the Ansar, because of their absolute faith and trust in Allah. <inaudible> Who is more uh, unjust than the one who invents a lie against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or who rejects the truth when it comes to so there are two types of people. One is the one who fabricates lies against Allah and they say God has a son, or God has daughters, or God is one and many at the same time. Oh the and the other group, another type, is the one who rejects the truth, even though he knows this is the truth he so says no. I am not going to believe in it because of stubbornness, because of pride, and because of jealousy. Both are very unjust people. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using now the terminology of injustice to define a theology, or false theology, which is not just moral or political. In the Qur'anic language, the Qur'an uses zulm. Injustice to describe a false understanding, an incorrect understanding of God or a rejection of God, which is very different from the political rights language or the post-enlightenment language of the U.S. and so on and so forth, where injustice is seen as something that is political or perhaps moral. The Qur'an precedes all of that. And says, there are different layers of injustice. One layer of injustice is theological. If you commit theological injustice, that is the most severe form of injustice that man is guilty of. In the shirk al zulm al shirk is a huge, tremendous form of injustice. And Muslims must read the Qur'an in the language of the Qur'an not in the language of post-enlightenment thinking. Right? Not in the language of secularism. Oh. Whatever ism it is it. This is the Quranic language. The Quranic language is very broad. is very manifest. It is very revealing. So leave the Quranic language to what it is. Don't restrict it to your world view. So in my world view, I don't see the issue of religion as being relevant in society. The Quran says that other uh, zulm is injustice, injustice for which you should be punished, and so on. So they don't say, well, you know, maybe it doesn't mean this. You understand? Your premise is what I want to understand the Quran. In the language of my contemporary peers. In the language of the philosophy and the ideology that I have learned and gained. And respected through my education. That is false. That premise is absurd. Okay. That is wrong. You can't do that. It's like saying that when a Christian reads the Quran. The Christian must identify everything that is Christian in the Quran. And say the Quran speaks about Christians in this way and that and That is wrong. All the, you know, the the gays, people who say they are Muslim, they have their own Quranic philosophy. Right? You heard of gay imams? You heard of gay masajid, right? Masjid in the US. And gay imams. They justify their behavior from the Quran. From the Quran as well. According to the Quran, it must be justified. Subhanallah. La hawla Hada al-azim. So this woman a'zlalu mimmar iftaru ala Allahi kadiba. Who can be more unjust than the one who invents lies against God by quoting the word of God to justify what he or she does? It's a supreme injustice. It cannot be forgiven. It's a huge injustice. That you're using the words of the Qur'an to justify what you do simply because of lust and pleasure and enjoyment in the world where the Qur'an says this world is about uh, pastime and pleasure and play anyway. So now, where's your eternity? Where's your akhirah? How are you going to get into Jannah when you have now totally corrupted the meanings of the words of the Qur'an to justify your childish amusement and playtime? If that is not stupid, then what is? It's totally absurd. So the the, the approach to the Quran uh, must be that I must understand the Quran the way the Sahaba did. The way the Sahaba were taught. The way the Tabi'un did and the way the Tabi'un were taught. That's how I must understand the Quran. I must not seek to understand the Quran through any political paradigm or through the lens of human justice. According to what people today say is justice. no. Right. That's what this ayah is saying. Or they deny and reject the truth. When it comes. How does it come? When they read the Qur'an. How do they invent lies? That they distort the meaning of the Qur'an. And that is what Allah is referring to. Oh then the final nail in the coffin of that approach is that is there enough now for those who disbelieve uh, what do you call it comfort in the form of their place in jihad is there not a home in hell meaning that they're going to find where they belong whence they meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment and they will see what happens to them for this injustice So, the Muslim community must broaden their base for applying the word injustice. Injustice is not only that you abuse your spouse or your children, or you abuse your power, or you abuse your wealth, or you take the rights of others and you violate human beings, or you are a tyrant and a dictator. That is one form of injustice. There's another form of injustice. What is that? That you commit sin against God. That's also injustice. And there's a third level injustice. And that's what? That you commit now to these false accusations against God himself. He doesn't exist. Or if he exists, he exists this way. Or he has a son. Or he has a daughter. whatever. So the Muslim must appreciate that word injustice. Dhulm. Based on the Quranic language. And override that Quranic language. Use that to override any other language that he confronts. Otherwise, God forbid, you will be in trouble. And finally, the concluding ayah of this great surah is that as you are struggling for the sake of Allah, in the path of Allah, and you are coming to terms with your Iman. And your trust in Allah, and you're about to leave your homeland and your home and your family and your children and your wealth for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is the one thing Allah will guarantee you? So Allah says, Those who struggle in us for us, for our sake, for our cause, indeed most certainly we will guide them to our many paths. One is Islam, the ultimate highway. Within the ultimate highway, there are many, many other avenues and lanes and paths. They, they all take you to the Sirat al-Mustaqeem, as long as it is Islamic. Right? Not al-Islam, so the grand highway of Islam. Within the highway of Islam, there are many avenues, many pathways, many alleys, many roads, and many lanes. And you can go in this way. But Allah will guide you to them. Meaning there are ways to reach Allah within Islam. And those ways Allah will guide you because the ultimate purpose is to become someone who is with Allah. Indeed Allah is with those who are good doers. Those who are in the state of ihsan and those who favor themselves and other people. So when you are muhsin and you do things well for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you are with Allah and Allah is with You, which is the purpose of walking on the straight path. Allah is the final destination. All of this struggle and all of these sacrifices, all of this now coping with life, uh, acting and reacting to all the elements of life, within life, has a purpose. What is that purpose? That we meet Allah, which is what I was saying at the beginning of the lecture. So we are going to meet Allah. How are we going to meet him? By struggling here and finding Allah here. How do you find Allah here? That you accept this highway called Islam and you do things for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes with open-ended expectations or no expectations and sometimes with expectations. Whatever the road you choose within Islam, Allah will guide you to that. But you must be very objective in applying your sincerity to your modes and your methods, so that Allah is with you. The ulama always say there are three prerequisites for any act to be accepted. Very simple. Uh, one is that it must be through uh, ikhlas, only through sincerity, that you initiate the act. That's number one. Number two is that the form you choose. To initiate must be within the Sunnah. Right? If the form that you choose to please Allah or to move towards Allah is against the Sunnah, then it is not accepted, period. Like any form of worship and ibadah. Mm-hmm. So if you say that through this means I want to become close to Allah, make sure the means and the method and the form is in the Sunnah of the Prophet, so meaning the understanding that the Sahaba had from the wasallam, and thirdly you must make dua that Allah accepts right? if you don't make dua that Allah accepts then you are a bigot it's not very nice God will, will accept and he must accept because I did it you have to become with Allah So in order for you to become with Allah, you must make du'a that Allah ultimately accepts what it is you are doing. And there is no guarantee of that. There is hope and there is fear. You stay within hope and fear. Hope that Allah will accept. Fear is, oh, maybe I didn't do it properly. I wasn't sincere enough. Or suddenly, that That is how you know that you are on the right path. That is a reassurance from the ulama that this is how a Muslim knows he is on the right path, and many of these paths will lead to other paths, and that will lead to Jannah, where inshaAllah you will be with Allah in eternity. This surah, Surah al-Ankabut, the surah of the spider, where Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala says and initiates the surah by saying, "That do you think you will be left alone and not tested for His sake because you say we believe?" Yeah. When you say you believe. You must uh, believe that you will be tested. Right? The so called, again, the planned demonstrations against Muslims last Friday. Alhamdulillah, Allah's fadal, they didn't happen. Right? But who are they going to target? The very successful Muslim lawyer. The exceptionally successful Muslim uh, physician, the very successful Muslim businessman, the very successful Muslim politician in the US, or the very successful Muslim period in the US. That's who they were targeting, you and me. Why were they targeting, targeting us? Because we're Muslim. You understand? That is the reality on the ground. So that's why I keep on saying to people, wake up. This is from Allah. This is what this surah is saying. lam mim hasibun nasu in that do people think and believe that they will not be tested because they say we believe. You will be tested. How do we manage that? By behaving ourselves by making du'a for comfort and for Allah's fadl and by making sure we don't create the test ourselves. Self-imposed okay. uh, affliction is the worst form of test. Where we believe we are doing this correctly. Now, most of our activities, they're not in line with the sunnah. I mean, political and social. They're not in line with the sunnah. They may be very sincere. Okay. The objectives may be grand. That they are not in line with the sunnah. So now Allah says at the end, that when you work for me, when you work for Allah, and when you struggle for me, whether it's political, social, economic, then we will guide those who sacrifice. Right? But when? When it's in line with the sunnah. Not outside of the lines of the sunnah. Meaning the sunnah is very broad. There's no narrow definition of this but it must be justified within the legal system that is Islam. Okay? so that is what's needed. What's needed is for people to learn whether or not what they want to do is within the Sunnah, which requires that you let go of your ego. Right? I know this is correct Islam. It makes sense to me. It is beneficial. Okay, is that? The proof is in the pudding. You have been doing this for 20 years. Nothing has happened. Who has benefited from your paradigm, from your approach, from your theory, from your ideology, from whatever construct you said you wanted to build in the beginning? So that has to be manifested in the sunnah. How do you know the sunnah? You have to struggle to learn it. What is the least struggle? Let down, let go of your ego and ask somebody. Who knows? Let go of your I'm not an expert. This. How do I know that uh, the you know the, the, the low grade aspirin, eighty three eighty four milligram aspirin is good for me? I don't know. I don't I'm not into pharmacology. I'm not a doctor. So what do I do? I ask the doctor, and the doctor tells me this is beneficial. You take it. You take it. It's a small little pill. Right? So, for that small little pill, you're willing to acquiesce to someone that perhaps if you met on the street, you wouldn't say, salam to that person. Right? Now, for this grand project called the welfare of the ummah, you're not willing to speak to anybody about it. Where is that jihad? And where is that mujahidism? mujahid. There's no mujahid right? That's all ego. So 20 years of ego serves you nothing. More ego. 20 years of respect and 20 years of humbleness and 20 years of a genuine effort to know what will please Allah in this world and the world hereafter is what's called jahadu fina. Those who struggle in our poor struggle requires that you give up you for the sake of Allah now the self-imposed okay, trial is this Muslim community has imposed upon itself a standard of jahl, of ignorance where it does not want to concede that there are people there in this country, and other countries, whom will tell them, who will tell them that this is right and this is wrong. Why? Because we're in America, it's a free country, I can do what I want. By all means, do what you want and then you'll get people protesting against you. People will protest against why? You are not genuine. You are not sincere, so you need the sincerity. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward you if you do it the right way. When Allah rewards you the right way, people will say, Come and talk to us about Islam. Come and share Islam with us. Which is what happened with many other communities in other countries where they were humble enough to say I don't know how to do this. So if you have a political agenda, ask. If you have a social agenda, ask. And the answer will be very different from what you think it is. And then acquiesce. Be humble about it. Okay, it is what it is. <laughs> right. So nobody is saying, don't have any political, social, economic, whatever, academic agenda. You have all of those, but you must do it the correct way. It must be in line with the sunnah. That knowledge of Sunnah does not exist in the scientific community, in the science community, or in any other community except the community of ulama. Find those ulama and seek knowledge from them. And you can do whatever you want afterwards because it's in line with the Sunnah. It is halal. It's not a bidah. Now, if you don't do that, then you will create ISIS. You will create ISIS. Why? Because ISIS has the same platform. Exactly the same. We know Islam. This is a political agenda. This is a military agenda. And it's all in line with the sunnah. But everything they say and do is against the sunnah. So there's nothing except devastation. Nothing except total destruction of the Muslim Ummah. Financially, physically, morally, ethically, spiritually. And theologically. Right? It's the same paradigm. There's no difference. The only difference is we don't do what subscribe to violence where well, they do but the methodology is the same we don't need any ulama we don't need anyone to tell us this is right we are in america so that's why is. we are free to do what we want we have money we have power we have guns we have weapons so we're free to do what we want and we can call it islam the way muslims in america say this is Islam. so that's not feel. they're not making jihad in the cause of Allah subhanahu Because they don't know how to do it. Once you learn how to do it. Then by all means. Everybody will help you. Inshallah. If you do it for the sake of Allah. And there will be barakah. In what you do. Because you are doing it. Through the method that is prescribed. Islam is all about following instruction. So the sahaba. They wanted to do what? They wanted to retaliate. Where? Makkah. Where? In early Medina. They came to the Prophet. Why are we now sitting down? Why are we lying ducks? Prophet said The order hasn't come. The command hasn't come. But it makes sense strategically. If it hasn't come. You can't do anything. So they sat. Right? You understand what I'm saying? So there's a time when Muslims must concede That this is what Allah wants at this moment This is a sunnah When you follow Allah's command And the sunnah of the Prophet That requires that you have patience It won't happen overnight It may take 40 years, 50 years, 100 years Who knows But it's open-ended Are you willing to go the whole way Without seeing any results Right Now the community in the US Is not willing to do what? do this that they don't want to wait until they, uh, their children, their grandchildren see the results. They want the results now, instantaneously. So the Qur'an says, It's only a matter of a few hours anyway, on the Day of Judgment when you're as a I only spent a few hours. So what's the big wait? There is no big wait. You're not waiting for more than a few hours. In reference to the Akhirah, to get over it. Get over it. Yeah. So I'm saying that the, 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 the understanding we have from the Surah is that being tested as a Muslim is real. Okay. What we do is we ask Allah for afiyah and comfort that Allah does not test us. That's the dua we make, that's the approach we have. By behaving and by understanding the environment and the community around us and by making sure we don't inflict ourselves with wounds that we need to now nurse ourselves being foolish that's one way and then the second way is to be be, be a bit more proactive in saying that you are muslim we are no longer we don't have a closet to hide in Nine Eleven made sure that no muslim can hide period why because if your neighbor doesn't know you the the, the, the feds know you huh? TSA knows you. You're there at the airport. You take your shoes off, buddy. I'm going to check you, pat you down. But this is discrimination. Who cares about discrimination? You're Muslim. That's it. Finished. class. You're tested. Period. Never mind human rights. This is homeland security. Right? So it's a reality. People must get over that reality. You are going to be tested because you are Muslim. This is what this ayah is saying. The first ayah of the... This surah, very real. No one's exempt from it. But what do we do? We ask Allah for comfort. So we behave ourselves, and we make sure that we are proactive, and we don't do anything silly or stupid to bring the harm upon ourselves. And then the last ayah says that you must still struggle. Meaning, voluntarily put the effort in to better yourself. Voluntarily. اختيارن. Not istirah. Not involuntary, but voluntary service for Allah and voluntary service for the, for the deen is what is required. Otherwise, there will be involuntary service. tirad So this is how the Sahaba, they volunteered. Now, for that, there are some sacrifices that are needed and we don't have time to go through that. نسل Allah keep us under His uh, supervision, His comfort. Allah protect us from any uh, potential uh, danger and disaster. Allah keep us and preserve, keep and preserve our institutions and the people who work for them and preserve the Ummah of Muhammad whoever they are, wherever they are. Amin.